Open your Bibles with me to the book of Micah. Micah. If you need to use your table of contents, that's what it's there for. One of the minor prophets, Micah. And make sure that you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one in the chair in front of you. Just look underneath that chair. There'll be a Bible there. And uh, So open up your Bibles with me to Micah chapter 6. And as usual here at Grace Baptist, we're going to be going through a lot of Scriptures this morning. So make sure that your Bible is ready. And uh, so this morning, I am speaking on this subject. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. You know, we as men, if we look out into the world today for a model of godly manhood, we're not going to find it in the culture. We're not going to find it on television. We're not going to find it in magazines. If we're going to know what it means to be a good man, what God says is good to do, the only way we're going to find it is in the Bible. Isn't that right? And as a Christian man, we talked about this in the Sunday school hour. We talked about what is it like to walk as a Christian in this world? What is it like to walk as a godly man in this world when godly ideas are reviled, godly opinions are considered hateful, godly manhood is considered boorish? How are we as men supposed to comport ourselves in this wicked and in this fallen world. As a Christian man, how can I live in this world? And what is God's game plan for that? I have this book. It is called The Life of Kilpin. It's the life of Samuel Kilpin. He was a preacher in England. His father was a deacon in John Bunyan's church. Now, John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He went to prison for 12 years because he refused to take a license from the state to preach. Now, that was very important because to take that license, he would have had to agree with the Church of England, and he was a Baptist. He couldn't do that. So he was in prison for 12 years. His blind daughter would come and bring him food and ask him to, to change his mind, but he couldn't do it. He got out of prison and walked down about three blocks and started preaching in a barn, and they put him in prison again for two more years. And he started this church, and it was called the Old Meeting House there in Bedford. And John Kilpin, who was Samuel Kilpin's father, was a deacon there. Samuel Kilpin went on to be a great preacher, and this book begins with some stories of John Kilpin, Samuel's father, and this is one of them. Passing the street one evening, a drunken man knocked Mr. Kilpin down and rolled him into the gutter, exclaiming, That's a good place for you, John Bunyan. The good man arose calmly and, returning to his family, related the circumstance, adding that the honor of bearing such a name had outweighed the insult. John Bunyan had lived such a life in front of one of his deacons that when he was beaten up and rolled into a gutter, it was an honor to be compared to his pastor. I think John Bunyan walked well in the world. And John Bunyan lived in a time when it was not easy to stand for the truth. It was not easy to do right. And in the worst of circumstances, he left something behind that is still used today. Pilgrim's Progress is still, after the King James Bible, one of the most uh, sold books in the history of the world, or at least in the history of the English language. It's an amazing thing. John Bunyan did that. He had learned how to walk 
in his world, and John Kilpin had learned how to walk in his world, and so influenced Samuel Kilpin, who became a pastor and influenced many others. How do we live as a godly man in this world? How do we do that? Well, look at Micah chapter 6 and look at verse 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. So let me ask you a question. Do we have any men here today? If you're a man, would you raise your hand? If you're not sure, we can help. All right? So if you're a man, the Bible tells us here, uh, uh, James Knox sent me a text of a beagle. And it said, this is Bruce Jenner's cat. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. Uh, we are men, and you're, you're born as a man. Now, I know sometimes people like to bring up the, the, the very, 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 very rare situation where an individual is born and has male and female anatomy. How many of you have heard that that can happen? All right? That's something that's completely different, and that's something that would need to be dealt with. And, and praise God, God loves that person, and God has an answer for that person. That is not the problem with most people. And what happens is people can get into such a situation, they can live in such a state that they are so dissatisfied with who they are that they want to be someone else. Teenagers, I know there's times when you want to be somebody else. You know, you want to be the cool guy. You want to be the good-looking guy. You want to be the, the prettiest girl. You want to be the person with the best grades. You want to be the person with the best personality. And all of those things. And all of us, how many of you ever remember going through something like that? If only I was like so-and-so. Of course, for me, my mother said to me one time, why can't you be more like your brother? <laughs> that's, a, that's what I got. It, it's, <laughs> it is interesting. I think all of us at some point or one, at some place in our life, we would like to be someone else. But isn't it good when you get to the place where you're thankful for who God made you and what God has called you to do and what God has enabled you to do and the life that God's given you? Have you experienced that peace? Lord, thank you for what you've done in me. Thank you for who you made me. Thank you for the parents that you gave me. Thank you for my father. Um, got a, I don't know if I could say all of this without getting too emotional. But my dad, he was my hero. Uh, my brother and I had to tell him Friday, we've got to sell his house. He can't, can't be in his house anymore. Can't have his shop and his tools anymore. That's tough. And I know many of you have gone through that same situation. And it, he was um, on the television, was the Wild Wild West. And he said, he said, that, that James West, what's his name? I said, Robert Conrad. He said, yeah, he's doing a lot. They're using him for a lot of stuff. He's flying planes now, and he's... Dad, that was 30 years ago. That was 30 years ago. And we're sitting there having a conversation with him. And the man who was my pastor and my father, his mind isn't what it used to be. But I can tell you this. 
Dad taught me how to drive a nail. He taught me how to build cabinets. He taught me how to knock on doors. He taught me how to give somebody a gospel tract. He taught me how the Bible is divided. He, he taught me uh, uh, the, the right division in the Scriptures. He is the one who gave me that treasure path to soul winning. And when I was in sixth grade from J.O. Grooms, remember that, Brother Smith? And I learned to memorize Scripture from that. And at, when, when I, I became a preacher, my dad was what was in my mind. Why? Was my father perfect? Absolutely not. No. But my dad had walked in this world in a way that taught me how a man was supposed to walk. Did your dad ever say, stand up like a man? Yeah. So many times, just little instructions. I may have told you before, I remember just I took the battery out of the car. I was in sixth grade. I'd come home from school, and dad said, there's a box on the table, and I said, what's this? And Dad said, it's the starter for the Chrysler. Dad had a, had a 74 Chrysler town and country station wagon. He said, it's a starter for the Chrysler. I said, okay. He said, go put it on it. I said, I don't know how to do that. He said, ride your back down to the library and get the, the, the there's a book. I, can't, I lost the name of it all of a sudden. Chilton's guide. Or, and, and he said, make a copy of that page and come back and put it on the car. And so I got on my bike and I rode to the library and I made a copy of the Chilton's page and I came back and put the starter on the Chrysler. Dad taught me how to do that. But when I took the battery out, I put it on the floor, on the concrete floor. And my dad, always so gentle, get the battery off of the floor. Put it under, put a two by four. I'll drain the, bat, the juice out of it. Now, I don't remember, um, Brady. What was his name? The Brady Bunch, the father? Mike Brady? See, it was fake. It wasn't real. That's not the way that he did it. How many of you, your dad said, pick that up. Don't, how many of you, that's kind of the way that, that you grew up. That was, that was the, the picture, the model of manhood that I had. So as a parent, I tried to learn some more about explaining and dealing with my children in a little bit different way than my dad did. But I'm just telling you, my dad was the model of a man that I had, and I am so thankful for him, the things that he taught me how to do. I'm so thankful for him. What if you don't have a dad? What if you never had a father that loved you and that cared for you? The Bible says that God becomes the father to the fatherless. You have a father in God. And what God has done here in this text is God is showing you what is good for a man to do. So let's look at this. I want to tell you something from this text first of all. Be careful how you read this. So let's read the text. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord, what's that next word? Require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. So here's what God requires of us to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for being the model of the Father to us. Lord, thank you that you have shown us what it means to be a good man. And Lord, help us to see from this text how we are to deal with that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, I want you to see to be very careful how you read this. Be careful how you read this. This text is not the plan of salvation. You know, there are people that this is their religion. I am going to do justly, I'm going to love mercy, and I'm going to walk humbly before God. 
And so that, uh, I, I don't know about all this salvation stuff. I don't know about all this doctrine stuff. I don't know about all this theology stuff, but I know that I'm supposed to be a good man. Well, you can be a good man and go straight to hell. Because this is not the plan of salvation. So we want to be very careful that we understand that there's only one way to get to heaven, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. There's only one way to heaven. No man has ever done justly enough, nor loved mercy enough, nor walked humbly enough to merit eternal life. Our salvation is based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Amen? Amen. That's what the Father did for us. The prophet Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. He is writing around 730 B.C., 730 years before Christ this was written. It's an amazing thing that we still have it. God preserved it for us. And he was writing to the, the kingdom of Judah and the southern kingdom, and he is asking a question for them, and then he's answering the question. And look at the question that he's answering. Verse 6, Wherewith? shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? It's a very interesting question that he's asking. How, as the, the, these Jewish people in Judah, how do they come before God and bow before Him? There's something very important that you need to understand. This is not written to a Christian following the cross. This is not telling you how to come before God. That's not what's going on here. This is, he asked this question. Look at, look at again, middle of verse six. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the, thru, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Rhetorical question. Of course not. Of course not. I don't have to give my firstborn. I don't have to give my son for my salvation. Why? Because God gave His. See, this is the question that God is answering. How were these Jews to come before Him? How were they to come? And He is not negating in verse 7. He's not negating the sacrifice. He had to bring oil and bring the, the sacrifice, the rams, and they would be sacrificed before God. God had commanded them to do that. But what he's saying is a sacrifice for these Jews was not enough. It had to be done in the right spirit with the right motives. The sacrifice was to demonstrate a belief. And the heart was the issue. That's what's going on in the text. And so this is not a plan of salvation for you and for me. Spurgeon wrote this. The true proof of godliness is not expensive rites, but hearty obedience, not allowed profession, but holy living, not large subscriptions, but a yielding up of the heart. Have we this vital godliness? Has the Holy Spirit wrought in us a change of heart? So what, what Micah, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling the people of Judah it very clearly is that the ritual did nothing. It was an expression of justice, mercy, and humility, and an understanding of that biblically. So we have to be careful as we read this text, this is not a plan of salvation. So how does then, how does the Christian come before Almighty God? Now get your Bibles, we're going to go through some verses here. How does a Christian come before Almighty God? Here's what's going to happen. Someday soon, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, to be with Him in the clouds, a part of that, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's coming. Do you all believe that? It could happen today. Jesus Christ could come back today, and we will be taken out and stand before God. Before that happens, some of us may die. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. None of us are promised another breath. Is that right? And so one way or another, either by rapture or by death, all of us are going to stand before God. How do we come before God? So if you died today, and you were ushered into the presence of Almighty God, how would you come before Him? You are either going to come before Him in your own righteousness, or you're going to come before Him in the righteousness of Christ. Those are your only two options. Yours or His. So how does... Now, all of a sudden, I'm watching people, and this is... And it's good. It's a sobering thought. How many of you, that's a sobering thought? Here's the good news for the Christian. If you're a Christian, now what does that mean? That you were baptized as a baby, that your mom and dad were Christians? No. A Christian is a person who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. Realizing that you're a sinner, that you deserve hell, but that Jesus Christ, God Himself came and took on flesh and blood, flesh and bones. He lived a sinless life, born of a virgin, and then He died on the cross for you and for me. He was buried, and then three days later He rose from the dead, proving that He was, is, and always will be God. And then when He died on that cross and He shed that blood, He shed that blood for you. He shed that blood for me. Uh, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. The only way that I can go to heaven is by faith toward God, repentance toward God, and faith toward Jesus Christ. That's it. I repent of my sin. My sin's bad enough to take me to hell. And Jesus Christ, you're the Son of God. Please save me. I receive the gift of eternal life that you're offering me. I can't be good enough. My baptism won't save me. My good works won't save me. My holy life won't save me. My mom and dad can't save me. The only thing that can save me is the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, please save me. Have you done that? Have you asked Jesus Christ to save you? Trusting only in Him? If you've done that, you're a Christian. If you haven't done that, you're not a Christian and you need to be saved. Jesus said this, you must be born again. You must be born again. If you are a Christian, how do you come before God? How do you come before God? Let's go through some scriptures and see how the Christian comes before God. First of all, the Christian comes before God in perfect holiness and blamelessness. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. If you're saved, when you come before God, you're going to come before God in perfect holiness and blamelessness. Look at what it says in verse 2. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 2. Grace be to you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So if you're saved, the Bible says that you are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. So if you're saved, you are in Christ. So that means you're seated with Christ in heavenly places right now. You are secure in Him. And look at what it says in verse 4. 
according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. So before the foundation of the world, God said that everybody that's in Christ is going to be this. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So if you're a Christian, here's how you stand before God. When you come and you approach the Father, whether it's at the rapture or whether you die, when you stand before Him, here's how you're going to stand before Him. In perfect holiness. In perfect holiness. Without blame. Can I ask you a question? How many of you, even though you know you're not supposed to, you're saved and you know you're not supposed to, you still live with the guilt of past sin. Would you raise your hand? Anybody here that you feel that way? And, and, and it doesn't matter. And we, can, we can have times of peace where we, we give it up to the Lord and we experience the joy and, and the knowledge of that forgiveness and that righteousness and that holiness that we live in today. And yet, that flesh still creeps in and, and that, that guilt, it's there. When you stand before God, you're going to be completely holy and completely perfect and completely without blame. And then I love that next statement, in love. See, when you stand before God as one of His children, when your child comes in, little Chloe, when she walks in, you don't look at her in judgment. You look at her in love. That's all that you can see is just love. That's the way that the Father looks at you. How do you come before God? As a Christian, how do you come before God? In perfect holiness and without blame in love. Hallelujah. That's what God gives you. That's how the Christian comes before God. Not only do we come before God in perfect holiness and, and, and blamelessness. Look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 16. Go look at verse 15. This is good. Whosoever, First John 4, 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. So that's just what we're talking about. I dwell in him, and then God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in me. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have... What's that next word? Boldness in the day of judgment. Do you remember when your father gave you work to do? Summertime. What do dads do in the summertime? They enjoy slave labor. Dad's getting ready to go to work. He says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Make sure that garage is cleaned out by the time I get home. I want that garage to be cleaned out by the time I get home. Dad comes home at 4 o'clock. So you're out just having a great old time. About 3.45, you look at the clock. And you are running. And Dad, you hear the car pull in. The garage door opener hits. And you're standing before your father. Boldly? No. No. Honestly, how many of you have ever experienced that right there? You know what I'm talking about. And, and many Christians, that's the way that you live the Christian life. 
sometimes you can't even go to the Lord in prayer because you know that your life has not been what it's supposed to be. And so the time comes, you bow your head and you want to go before God for a need, and you are cowering like a puppy that's made a mess on the floor. When the Bible says that the child of God, who is in the Father's love, can be bold in the day of judgment. Why? Nothing to judge. Jesus Christ took my judgment on the cross. Look at the text again, verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. Do you see what the Bible says? So as God is, that's how we are here in this world. I am in His image. The Bible says in Romans 8, 29, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass or in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Bible says that when the Lord returns, we'll know Him and we'll see Him, for we will be like Him. So how am I going to stand before God? Just like Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus Christ. That's how the Christian comes before God, in the image of Christ. And then you stand before God in perfect righteousness. If you're saved, when it comes time to stand before God, remember, this is the question we're answering from Micah, 8, or from Micah 6, 6. How do I come before Almighty God? How do I appear before Him? The Christian appears before Him in perfect holiness and blamelessness, in the image of Christ, and in perfect righteousness. Look at Romans chapter 3. Micah 6, 8 is not the gospel. Romans 3. Look at verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Now that word justified means declared righteous. So no flesh will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, look at what it says, and upon all them that keep the law. Is that what it says? What's it say, everybody? What's it say? That believe. So how are you made righteous before God? By believing the gospel. By believing the gospel. That's the only thing that you can do. That's it. What happens when you do that? Verse 21, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law, even the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Look at what it says in verse 24. Being justified, again, declared righteous, freely, by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption. What did He do? By His blood, He paid for your sin. He bought you back from Satan. He bought you back from death. He gave you that gift freely. He gave it to you 
freely. Verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. That's a satisfactory payment through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the needs of the law. So how do you stand before God? In perfect righteousness. In perfect righteousness. Why? Because it's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And again, you either stand before God in your own righteousness or in His, Jesus Christ. This is the righteousness that God has given to me. God's righteousness. It's unbelievable. So here's the question. How did... So we've said, be careful. Micah 6, 8 is not the gospel. Be careful how you read it. And then we see, how does a Christian come before God? Well, we come before God in holiness, in blamelessness, and in the image of Christ, and in perfect righteousness, and in love. That's exciting, isn't it? What a blessing that is. So how did a Jewish man, who was a faithful Jewish man, come to God after the cross? How did that happen? Go to Acts chapter 10. This is an interesting passage. And look at verse 22. Uh, Verse 21, Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion. Now remember what Micah 6.8 said. This is the description of Cornelius. A just man and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. So it's interesting. He was a just man. He was a holy man before the law and before the people. He was walking humbly before his God. But what did he need? He needed to hear words from God. Is that right? Go to chapter 11. Look at verse 14. So now Peter is reciting what had happened to the other apostles. Look at verse 14. Uh, So he's telling this and he says, Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be... What's it say? Saved. What did Cornelius need? He was a just man. He was a holy man. He feared God. He had a good name among the people. He was a faith... Listen... He was a faithful Jewish man. What did he need? He needed to be saved. How is a man saved? He needed to hear the Word of God. 1 Peter 1.23 Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. He needed to be saved. You might be here today, and as far as the world is concerned, you are a just man. What does it mean? Go back to Micah. Micah chapter 6. Verse 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good 
And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? What does it mean to do justly? That means to give to everyone what is rightfully theirs. To deal with people justly. So if you are an employer and someone works for you, you pay them what you said you were going to pay. If you're a contractor and you contract to do work for someone, you do the work that you said you were going to do. That's justice. Justice is giving people what they deserve. How many of you want justice from God? No. But God tells us to do justly. So give everyone what is rightly theirs. That's how you're supposed to live. Well, Cornelius was doing that. Then look what it says. Love mercy. Love mercy. Now, I'll tell you this. If you're a sinner, you love mercy. Amen? Please, God, don't give me what I deserve. I love mercy when it comes to me. But do I love mercy when it's being given to somebody else? It's very interesting. You have to love mercy. Love mercy. And then walk humbly with thy God. Walk humbly with thy God. How do I, as a Christian man, apply Micah 6.8 to myself today? Let me ask you a question. Has God changed His mind about how we are to walk before Him? No. No. I, I like to say this. You young people need to be really glad that you don't live in Old Testament times. Because the way that God said to deal with a rebellious child, stone him to death. That doesn't mean you give him a bunch of pot. <laughs> it means you kill him. And it's very interesting. Let me ask you this question. Now, how many of you young people, or how many of you adults now, who have made it out of being a young person, are thankful that we don't do that anymore, right? Because you would not have made it this far. Has God changed His mind about rebellious children? Has God changed His mind? Same God. Same God. We just live in mercy. You see? And so we, how do we as men today who want to be good men take Micah 6.8 and live it out in this world? How do we do that? Well, there's a good example of it. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Very interesting. Look at verse 10. <clears throat> Your witnesses, so here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. Your witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as what? As a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So how do we live this out in the world? How do we live this out in the world? As fathers, what does a godly father do? He walks holily 
and justly and unblameably. That's how we are to behave. Amen? Dads, how many of you are dads here? Fathers, would you raise your hands? Hold them up. This is how we are to behave. We're supposed to be holy. The Bible says, be holy as I am holy. How many of you have a hard time being as holy as God? Right? What's the only way that you can do that? Submit to the Holy Spirit of God and submit to His Word. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do I walk a holy life? I walk humbly before my God. It's very interesting. I'll show you something in just a second. Now, what we see here is that a father is supposed to walk holily and to walk justly. Now, it's very interesting. So, Jacob, where's Jacob? Come here. So, this is my son, Jacob, who really needs to stop growing. <laughs> I'll knock you out right here in front of everybody. <laughs> when we hug now, he wants to go over the top and, you know. Okay. So, here's Jacob. To be a good father to Jacob, I need to live a holy life. Jacob needs to know that we don't have wickedness in our home. He needs to know that God is important and that God's opinion is more important to me than the world's opinion. He needs to see that. If I just say it right here and I do something different in front of him, that's a horrible thing. Isn't that right? And then he needs to see me walk justly. That means that we pay our bills. We pay our bills. We do what we're supposed to do. And the other thing is I give him what he deserves. So if he disobeys, he knows that I am a just man. He needs to know that. He needs to believe me. Amen? How many of you have ever seen a parent, maybe at Walmart or, you know, in the nursery? Um, <laughs> and they tell their children, you know, they have a child, if you don't sit down, you're going to get a spanking. And the kid just looks at him like, no, you're not. How many of you have ever seen that happen? Why? They do not believe them. They don't believe dad. They don't believe mom. Why? Because mom and dad have not been just. So what Jacob needs is he needs a dad that does what he says. Very important. Now, people get so carried away with this. You know, uh, Jake, when I get home from work, let's throw the ball around. And you end up having to work late. And you can't throw the ball around. And dad feels all guilty. Well, welcome to the world. Amen. Are you all with me on that? People go crazy on that stuff. Sorry, Jake. Had to work late. We'll do it another day. If that's your pattern, if you never do what you say, that's a problem. But I, I just got to tell you, man, if you got to work overtime, boss says you got to stay. Sorry, Jake. Can't throw the ball. I'm at work. Amen. Are you all with me on that? So let, let's not get crazy. But he needs to know, I'm going to give him what he deserves. But what about love mercy? If all I ever give him is justice, then when he's messed up, he's done something wrong, and the Holy Spirit is convicting him, and he wants to talk to Dad about it. If I have behaved in such a way to him 
that he thinks that I will cut him off because of his behavior, I have not loved mercy. See, he needs to know, Jacob needs to know that there is nothing he can do that will stop me from loving him. There's nothing he can do to where I would disown him. He will always be my son. He will always, always, always be my son who can stand before me in love. That's the kind of dad I need to be. So how do I balance that out? How do I balance giving him justice and loving mercy? How do I do that? Prayerfully, folks. Prayerfully. Thanks. Dads, have you ever gone overboard in punishment? Has that ever happened? Could anyone say Adrian Peterson? You ever seen somebody go overboard? Dads, have you ever gone overboard in punishment? Have you ever not punished enough? Yeah, what do you need? You need God's model of parenting. We need to see it. And look at, the, look at how it breaks down. We're, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. Your witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably. So somebody might blame me for something, but it won't be believed if I live right. We behaved ourselves among you that believe. And you know also how we... Now, here's how we live this out. We exhort. So what does the Father do? The Father says, you can do this. The Father says, you can do better. You can do better. So for Jacob, when he was younger, we don't have to deal with this stuff much anymore, but when he was, when he was you know, just learning how to, how to live, and I would, I would say to him, he'd do something that was just dumb. How many of you had a child who's done something that's dumb? All right. Now, I could look at Jacob and i say, you are so stupid. How many of you think that might not be a good way to deal with it? What's the right way to deal with it? Jacob, you know better. God gave you a good mind. Son, you need to use it. What's, the, what's that? I'm exhorting. I'm correcting. I'm exhorting. I love this statement. Speak to them the way you want them to become. That's how we, that's how we father. We have to do that. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. I never want to demean my children. I never want to get them to where they feel like they can never make me happy. They can never please me. It can never be good enough. That's why I need to exhort. And look at what it says. Verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted. Comforted when they mess up. Let them know, man, I know, I know you messed it up, but you can do better. I have faith in you. I trust you. You can do better. Then look at what it says. And charged every one of you as a father does his children. How am I supposed to deal with my children? Lydia, this is what I expect of you. This is what I expect of you. What am I doing? I'm charging her. Okay, Lydia, by the time I get back, the kitchen needs to be cared for. Whatever it is, you need to get this done. This is what you need to do. I'm charging them. But it needs to be more than menial things. Lydia, I expect you to live for the Lord. You need to live for the Lord. Everything you do, every decision you make, every step you make needs to be for God. I'm charging them. What does it say? 
as a father doth his children. So how does Micah 6, 8 work out in this world? I exhort and I comfort and I charge my children after having lived holily and justly and unblameably before them. That is the mandate of Micah 6, 8. That's how we as believers, that's how we as men are supposed to walk in this world. Listen to what Alexander McLaren said. He, he wrote this. So then, here is the minimum of the divine requirements. To give everybody what he has a right to, including the mercy to which he has a right, to have a lowly estimate of myself, and to live... This is so good. Listen to this right here. And to live continually grasping the hand of God and conscious of His overshadowing wing at all moments and of conformity to His will at every step of the road. So go back to Micah 6, eight. Here's the only way this can happen. Micah 6, eight. Men, here it is. He has showed thee... What are those next two words? O man. Okay, it's so like three people. Here we go. Ready? Micah 6, eight. He has showed thee... What's it say? What is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with... What does it say right there? Thy God. Remember, in your King James Bible, the Y's are plural. Ye and you. The T's are singular. Thee and thy. So this is before Jacob's God before Matt's God, before Adam's God, before Patrick's God. This is very important. This is very important. How is this going to happen? How am I going to fulfill this when the Lord is not the God, when He's my God? And then I personally and uh, individually and willingly, I humble myself under the mighty hand of God so that He can lift me up in due time. You see, walking humbly before my God is where every decision I make is according to His mandate and His will with constant concern that I am pleasing Him. That's what it means. Aren't you glad that's not the plan of salvation? Because none of us could ever be saved. But as believers, He's given us the formula for a man, the formula for a father. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before thy God. So here's the question. First of all, is He your God? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life? If He is your God, are you demonstrating justice to your children? Are you demonstrating mercy? Are you demonstrating godly humility, walking in submission to His will? Boy, those are some tough questions for us, aren't they? You say, Pastor, it's Father's Day. It's supposed to be encouraging. It is encouraging when you realize how you stand before Him. Amen? Let's walk that way. You say you believe in Him? Then walk even as He walked. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.